Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you once again for joining me. If you haven't clicked subscribe or follow, be sure you go ahead and do so. Coming out with new episodes every Wednesday morning for you. Today on the show, we have some great segments lined up. First, it's going to be Squirrel, how to teach your dog to leave it. (laughs) Yeah, how to teach your dog to leave squirrels and all kinds of distractions. We're going to get into depth on actually how to teach your dog that leave it command. Then we'll have our breed of the week. And then we have another segment called Harnesses, why your dog is still pulling you. We'll talk more in depth about all that good stuff than the listener Q&A. And if you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, dog training or dog related in general, be sure you email me questions at speakadogcast.com. Don't forget to check me out on social media, Instagram speakadogcast and Facebook speakadogcast. Now I've got to give you today's trivia question. And that question today is, what does the word corgi mean in Welsh? Yes, what does the word corgi mean in Welsh? And I'll give you the answer to today's question somewhere in the podcast, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's Squirrel, how to teach your dog a leave it. Yeah, that leave it command is pretty important. That's a good one that uh, your dog should know and you should know how to teach your dog. And the leave it command is also a part of my five core commands that I like to I like to teach puppies especially, right? And those five basic commands are a sit, a stay, a lie down, a drop it, and a leave it. Now, you guys know what the first three are, sit, lie down, stay, pretty obvious. Uh, but to distinguish between leave it and drop it, drop it is going to be used if your dog has picked something up already, right? Even if it's something just like a toy and you want them to relinquish it to you, that's the drop it command. Maybe your dog, you know, picked up something they shouldn't have, some food they shouldn't have, drop it command can come in handy as well. Again, it's after the fact. It's once the dog already has something. The leave it command is going to be before that. I want you to leave that alone. Maybe I dropped food on the ground. The dog is thinking about going for it. I could say leave it. Maybe we have a squirrel running out in front of us on the walk. I can say leave it. Maybe it's a person I just don't want to say hi to out on the walk. (laughs) Leave it. Maybe I'm coming across an overexcited dog or maybe even an aggressive dog. I can tell my dog to leave it alone and tell them to ignore it, and that can help. Okay, So that leave it command is is really versatile, and it can be very useful in a lot of different ways. So how do we teach the leave it command? Now, there, there was really multiple different ways, and... You know, when it comes to training, it's not like there's this one right and one wrong way to do things. There really isn't. Uh, Sure, there are ways that are scientifically proven to (laughs) gain better results than other methods, and that makes more sense. Uh, But there's not, you know, I I say it, I I can't just make a book on this is how you train a dog, or for that matter, even a podcast, right? While the podcast is full of some great information and a lot of good stuff, you can't just listen to this podcast and become an expert dog trainer. I don't think you can listen to any podcast and then become an expert dog trainer. It can absolutely help you. It can guide you. It can take you there. It can give you way more information than when you started with. And information is power, right? Knowledge is power. Uh, (laughs) So it's not something that I I can just hand my clients a little five page informational sheet or, or, you know, Hey, a thick packet and go, Hey, here's how you train a dog. Go do it. Boom. You'll have success and you don't need me anymore. Um, (laughs) There are multiple ways to train dogs, guys. There really are. There are multiple ways to get to a result. Some might work faster and better than other ways. Uh, Again, through proven repetition and science and experimentation, and that's how we figure out how things work. And okay, so 
there's, there's really a few different ways. And even myself, I don't really use one single method to teach a leave it command because it, it depends upon the dog. It really does. You know, if I have a dog who maybe is a little more feisty over food, then the leave it command is going to be not exactly just simple to train. It's not like a puppy where I can just kind of put my hand in front of the treat and say, hey, leave it. And they do. <laughs> so we have to have different methods and different understanding, uh, different ways to go about teaching anything for that matter in training, but even with something as simple and basic as a leave it. Okay. Now, when I'm working with dogs, when I'm training something new, always, always we should be leashing up our dog. Okay. Um, I have to say, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody in particular, but it, it kind of amazes me that even after a few sessions of working with someone and talking about how to greet somebody at the front door, which is always, especially again, always when you're training, when you're in the beginning stages of this, you should always leash up your dog at the front door. If you haven't listened to the uh, the episode titled "The Front Door," great segment right there on how to how to actually accomplish getting your dog to sit and stay calmly at the front door. So you can check that out. But you have to start by leashing them up. You have to start by control. Training is all about control, and you don't want to forfeit that control. So it kind of surprises me how many clients. After going over it multiple times, they show up, they don't leash up the dog, and they lose control of the dog. And the dog bolts out and jumps on me and says hi to me. And, and they're like, oh, I can't believe, you know, wow, why did that happen? Well, because you haven't conditioned that behavior enough to keep your dog calm. And the only way to do that is to keep control. And the only way to keep control is by leashing up your dog. It's that simple. So, again, it doesn't matter what we're doing when it comes to training, but... You need to leash up your dog. For teaching something new, if it's a new process, we need to be leashing up our dog. I'm going to say it five more times. Leash up your dog. Um, <laughs> okay, so be sure you're putting the leash on your dog. Always be using a collar and a leash. Right collar is the Martingale collar. I like saying it. I like repeating myself on that because it's so important. Okay. Now, how do we go about using a leash and collar to teach a leave it? I like to start a leave it with either a toy or some treats, okay? And... It's, it's pretty simple. You can take a treat in your hand and you can hold it in the right, you know, hold it, <laughs> sorry, hold it out in front of the dog's face with just enough distance while holding the leash that if he leans forward, he's going to feel a little tension on the collar and not be able to get to the treat. Okay. So that's what I'll do. I'll set it up that I have the leash in my hand just enough that the dog can't really lunge forward and reach the treat. I'll put the treat out there and I'll say, leave it. And I'm not going leave it. <laughs> I've talked about that before. No dips. Don't get a case of the dips. They don't help. They're confusing to the dog. You're not being black and white in your communication. So no dips. It's not leave it. It's hey, leave it. Right? Leave it. Good. Leave it. And then if they leave it, you can say, hey, good. Leave it. Okay. And again, if then if your dog goes to lunge forward toward the treat as opposed to leaving it, they're going to hit a little bit of tension in the collar and you can pull the treat away and say, no, simple. No, don't have to be mean. Don't be mean. Just mean it. Right. Okay. So now it's pretty simple. We go back to our concepts of reward and consequence here, guys. It's, it's pretty black and white. If I say, leave it and the dog leans forward to get a treat, they get a little tension on the collar. And not only that, the treat disappears, <laughs> it goes away. So I'm actually providing two different forms of punishment right there in order to decrease that behavior, right, of the dog going after the treat when I say leave it. A couple repetitions of that, he's going to figure out, okay, every time I go after this treat, the treat disappears and I get tension on the leash. Now, if he backs off, 
What am I going to do? I'm going to release the tension, release the tension of the collar in order to negatively reinforce the behavior, right? We're not going to dive into that too much today. (laughs) But this is important. You know, I just had this conversation with a client the other day. We were going over first session stuff, but um, I, I look, I love it. I love it when a client really takes a vested interest in training their dog. And I don't just mean getting out and going on the walk. I mean, they're at the sessions. They are actively asking questions. They're trying to understand it. They they took, again, an interest in their dog's training. And they were fascinated. I loved it. They were so, they were fascinated. They were loving the science behind it, having a different perspective on the, tra- on, on a way to look at training and working with the dog. We, we really, we did more than scratch the surface of psychology. We were able to dive a little bit deeper into it, which was just to me, such a pleasure. It really is. I, I love, I mean, I can talk about this stuff for hours if you couldn't tell. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's what I do here. Right. And it, it, to me, it's just, it's fascinating stuff. This is just, this is what how animals tick, how things operate, how we all are motivated. It's fascinating stuff to me. So we were able to start diving into this more and it just was, it was awesome. It was really great. And I love when, again, I love when clients participate in that way and really take an active role in their dog's training. So I want to commend them on that because we're early in the training. I mean, we just started and they're just, they're, they're all about it. Love it. So thank you. Um, anyway, (laughs) sorry, I think I kind of got off on a tangent there and forgot where I was going with that thought. Oh my goodness. But you know, suffice it. Yeah. You know, that's right. Now I remember what I was saying. It's so important to have an understanding of the science. And that's what I loved about this client is they really were trying, not only trying accomplish, they, they were getting it because they were asking questions because they were involved. Um, they were really getting the science behind it. And as I always stress, it's so important to understand what the punishment is, what the negative reinforcement is, what the positive reinforcement is, what a redirection is. How do we utilize that? How in this moment can I take those concepts and apply them to get the end result and end behavior I'm looking for? Teaching is something as simple as a leave it. Yeah, those (laughs) those concepts are so important. I can't stress it enough, guys. Having that understanding, that's how you teach a leave it, believe it or not. Leave it, believe it or not. There you go. Um, So again, just to review with a collar, with a collar, okay, we leash them up. I keep the leash just short enough, just short enough that if the dog tries to reach out for a treat in my hand, they can't get to it. And of course, if we're using that martingale collar, they're going to run into the end of the collar a little bit and experience just a little bit of tension. Okay. So I'll put the treat in front of their face, not right in front of their face. I'll put it out in front of them, just out of reach. I say, leave it as I'm putting the treat in, leave it. Not leave it. Okay. Leave it. If they go to move forward toward the treat, they get a little correction on the collar. I pull the treat away. Two different forms of punishment happening there. Okay. So we're going to use those concepts of punishment, negative reinforcement, right? Okay. The dog will start to figure out every time I go after this thing, I get the collar. I get a little bit of tension. Every time I back off, the tension goes away. And before you know it, they're going to understand what leave it means. Then once they do leave it, if you've paired a release word, and we've kind of scratched the surface about a release word a little bit, uh, a release word is my dog should sit and stay until I release them, right? My dog should leave the treat when I say leave it until I release them, right? They should sit and stay at the front door until I release them. When it's feeding time, sit and stay until I release them. My release word is all right. That's that's the word, all right. Uh, That means we're done. But until then, they need to continue doing what I'm asking. So if I put that treat in front of their face and I say leave it, They should continue to leave it until I release them. All right. And then this way, it makes it really black and white to the dog when I want them to leave something alone and when it's okay to take it. 
How awesome is that? Right. Okay. So we can use the collar. You can also use just touch corrections with them. Now I still recommend having your dog leashed up, even if you're only going to use the touch corrections, because you don't want them to just back away and be done with you. And then you've trained them. Hey, all they have to do is walk away when they don't want to listen anymore. Not good. Uh, (laughs) But you can use a little touch correction. We've talked about touch corrections before. Um, It's a natural way to mimic, excuse me, it's a, it's a way to mimic how dogs naturally correct each other, right? Maybe a little nip to the neck, to the side of the neck, not right on the neck, not the throat area. We're talking like side shoulder. And of course, on the back side of their hips on the hinds there, uh, that's where they go to naturally correct each other. So doing a light nip, a very easy, nice nip can actually be a form of punishment and tell them no. So if I put that treat out and they go to do it, just give them a light little, nope. Okay. Nope. Leave it. Nope, leave it with a little touch correction, just like mom, mom dog would, right? Okay, now be careful with the touch correction because if you do have a reactive dog, that's the last thing I want you to be doing, okay? It is very important that you know your dog's temperament. If you have a dog that's touchy, if you have a dog that's possessive over food, using a touch correction with your hand is not the smartest idea. Please don't do that, okay? Don't, don't be using touch corrections. You need to find a professional, really. If it's something like that and that severe, you need to find a professional animal behavior specialist or a trainer, hire them because you need to have a little more technique and understanding of what's going on there behaviorally before you start trying to address something like training a leave it, okay? Uh, teaching a leave it commands it. Just, just a little thought on that, if, if you will, okay? So again, I like to use either collar, touch corrections, um, and then I can shape the behavior from there. Take it out of my hand, put it on the floor, leave it, start dropping the treat. Then the treat moves, right? The dropping motion, that's like when we're dropping food. A dog always cues into that really fast. So teaching them when that happens, a leave it command really goes a long way. Then you can start shaping it. Once they really understand the leave it command, either with the toy or with the treat. And again, you guys can do this with a toy as well. It's the same concept. Leave it, then release them, let them get the toy, play tug of war for a second. If they already know a drop it command, you can say drop it. Okay. Then go back to the leave it. And, you know, here's another point playtime. We've talked about playtime before in tug of war. Uh, if you haven't heard my thoughts, I'm okay with tug of war. I am. As long as you have control over playtime. Okay. If you don't have control over playtime with your dog, then yeah, tug of war is probably not the best idea. You need to gain control of playtime first. Uh, then you can reintroduce something like tug of war, but you have to do it safely and you have to do it controlled. Okay. But playtime with a leave it really good stuff, really, really good stuff. There's nothing wrong with adding some structure to playtime. There's nothing wrong with it. You should be adding structure to playtime. You really should. Uh, it, it gives your dog a little more to do, right? Makes them think about things. You know, I told it before, I, I'd like to teach a leave it with one. My golden retriever knows to leave it. He knows to drop it. He knows all his commands and more. Uh, but what I'll do is I'll put him in a sit stay and then I'll tell him to leave it and I'll throw the tennis ball and he waits. And then he'll look back up at me and he'll wait. And then I can release him and go, all right. And then he'll bolt after and go get the ball. Having that control over playtime is really important for a myriad of different reasons. Okay. Whether it be being, being able to take control of your dog in a group of dogs, maybe the other dogs are getting out of hand. You need your dog to leave it, come to you, leave the toy that's that maybe could be getting him in trouble in a second and it's not even his fault. Leave it and then a recall, really good stuff. So having that control over playtime um, is vital. It's vital to training. Look, to me, training is about one word, guys. It is. It's about one word, control. That's all training is. It's control. And honestly, if you think about it, what is every, you know, I've said this before, what does every animal, doesn't matter species, size, breed, whatever you want, 
What does every animal on this planet want? Stability. And how do animals create stability, including ourselves? How do we create stability? Through control. Too much control, then we resist. Not enough, we get walked all over. It's about finding a balance of that control. And you need to be doing that with your dog. So if that's really what it's about, training is all about control, then guess what? You need to have control over everything you do with your dog, from the way you let them out, from the way you do playtime, and that leave it command. That leave it command is such an integral part of that, okay? So playtime, it's important that your dog knows how to surrender a toy to you, and a leave it is such a great way to teach them how to leave it alone. And of course, you can add in that drop it as well, and then you really have control over what's going on there, okay? So... Yeah, you need to have that leave it command under control. It's it's handy. It's so handy. Um, like I said, you can use it for so many different things, whether it be squirrel, person, treat, food, what have you. Okay. Now, another thing to note is I'm always going back to it. It's how I end every episode. <laughs> Get out there and walk your dog. Do you take your dog for a good walk? Believe it or not, that's going to be important in, in training a leave it command. Training anything, quite frankly. Look, it always starts with a walk. It always does. It always starts with a good walk, whether I have a puppy all the way through severe aggression rehabilitation work. It always starts with creating a good walk first. And of course, do you have focus and control over that walk? Do you have control over the walk, right? I say that word a lot. Um, (laughs) Do you have control? Guess what? A leave it command can help you create even more control on that walk. Um, The other day, I had another client who's got a little puppy, cute puppy, but still young, you know, still figuring out the world. And we're still early on in our training. And she said, you know, the walk had been going a lot better since our first session, but she's still having an issue. And not surprisingly, right? First session, I don't expect, I couldn't give her all the info in one session. Um, No surprise, the dog is having an issue with leave it and leaving things alone. Sticks on the ground, pine cones, um, even, even kids in the neighborhood that are just playing and they're very excitable course the puppy cues into that and it gets very excited and then she starts trying to grab things with her mouth so guess what that leave it command is what we need to start working on and so I would actually you know (laughs) a lot of people will actually avoid the sticks avoid the pine cones avoid the stimulus and while that's a great band-aid in the moment you know it, it, it fixes the behavior in the moment it doesn't change the behavior And in order to change the behavior, I kind of need the stick to stick around. (laughs) I need the pine cone to be there to teach the dog how to leave it alone. That's just how this stuff works, okay? So on the session, I started taking the pine cone and the sticks, and I would toss them out in front of the dog and say, leave it as we're walking, okay? And we can utilize redirections through our walk, uh, through gaining focus, And of course, using some collar corrections, using a little bit of our leash work. And again, like I said, doing these physical redirections and believe it or not, the dog started leaving it really fast. I mean, really quick sticks and pine cones, no big deal. Throwing them in front of his face and no reaction within about 10 minutes or less, you know, and it's all being able to understand the concepts of punishment reinforcement as we talk about, uh, but being able to create that control through just something as simple as a leave it command. So that leave it command goes a long way. Then we try it. We're going to work it up to even more things. Uh, Next time, hopefully I'm going to be bringing some dogs and we're going to be teaching uh, her puppy to leave dogs alone. Very excitable moment. Well, guess what? We can use the leave it command for that. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So it's important that you condition the leave it and you really strengthen that behavior, whether it be a treat, whether it be a dog toy you're saying leave it with, sticks, Pine cones, squirrels, people, other dogs, exciting things. 
That's the nice thing in simplicity about conditioning and training. I can make leave it means leave it. I can condition that leave it means leave it. As simple as that. And then we can reinforce that through affection and praise and treats and strengthen that behavior to a point that, you know, you can have a squirrel run 10 feet in front of you, say, leave it, and your dog won't touch it. It gets even better, guys. If you really strengthen this, um, look, I've I've been walking my dogs off leash before, uh, like, you know, um, and, and even on my own property, walking them off leash, we're walking down the driveway, and we'll have a squirrel bolt right in front of us, and I, you know, I can't see everything, <laughs> And I'll miss it at first. And of course, my dogs see it before I do. And guess what? They don't go chasing after it. I don't even have to say leave it anymore because I've strengthened that behavior to such a degree that they know leave it alone without me even having to cue them, right? That's the power of conditioning and strengthening behavior and being able to understand motivation, being able to understand reinforcement, punishment, how to utilize those concepts to be able to work better for me and for my dogs, right? Um, so a leave it command is a really powerful command. It really is. And you need to make sure that you're strengthening that command big time because it goes a long way. I use it all the time, uh, all the time. So be sure you're teaching that leave it command. And of course it starts with a good walk first guys. Always, always, always starts with a good walk and creating focus there because once you have focus and once you have the ability to guide and direct it, it's so much easier to teach these other commands to teach your dog anything after that. Uh, it makes it a lot easier. So hone in on that walk, hone in on creating focus and control, and of course hone in on strengthening the leave it command. And then you'll have no problem with your dog leaving that squirrel alone. Next up on Speak Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Rottweiler. The Rottweiler is a member of the working group. Males can get from 95 to 135 pounds, while females weigh in at 80 to 100 pounds. Courageous, loyal, and intelligent, the Rottweiler has earned a reputation for being a great guard dog. Being a dog uh, from the working group, they do have a lot of energy, and that needs to be channeled in a healthy way. They need an experienced dog owner who is firm, but not harsh, and training from an early age is a must with this breed. They're known to be a little bit cautious with strangers, so you know it's important to teach them to the desired level of protection the owner is looking for, and making sure they're well socialized can help with that adjustment. However, to their families, this dog can be fun and faithful and great with kids. Now, again, these dogs are smart, they're energetic, and it's really important that an owner knows what exactly goes into keeping a working breed dog happy and healthy. As with most large breeds, Rottweilers can be susceptible to hip dysplasia, and they can also be prone to eye and heart problems as well. Kept in good health, though, they can live to be 9 to 10 years old. The origin of the Rottie can be traced back to ancient Roman times, Large, mastiff-like dogs were used by the Roman armies to herd and control the cattle populations that were used to, uh, to sustain the soldiers on their long and treacherous campaigns. Now, along the campaign trails, the Romans would set up colonies, and in southern Germany, they were known to establish agricultural settlements where the climate and soil was especially fertile. Over the centuries, the Roman dogs would interbreed with local dogs, and also through selective breeding, the Rottweiler was developed in the small German town of Rottweil. Rottweilers flourished in the area as cattle dogs, driving the cattle to town for butchering, and even at the end of the drives, the cattlemen actually used to put their filled purses around the necks of the Rottweilers for safekeeping. 
The dogs were also used to help tow carts around town loaded with meat. And eventually, with the invention of the railroads, the Rottweilers almost faced extinction. But the Rottie was found to be an excellent breed for other things as well, such as police work, becoming one of the first breeds to participate in law enforcement. They were also found to excel at obedience work and personal protection, too. The breed reached its popularity in the uh, the height of its popularity, should I say, in the 1990s, with over 100,000 dogs registered to the AKC. Now, one of my favorite Rottweiler moments in pop culture was in the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where Mr. Rooney, you're right, he gets his head stuck in that doggy door trying to get into Ferris's house, only to be met face to face with Ferris's Rottweiler. And the unnamed dog definitely, you know, chased him around and uh, was kind of fun. So that's one of my favorite moments that I could think of of a Rottweiler. But, you know, they're actually amazing dogs. They may get a bad rap. Uh, you know, in the 90s, when they did reach their height and popularity, unfortunately, it's kind of a double-edged sword when dogs become popular because it encourages interbreeding and irresponsible breeding. And so some of those stereotypes with the breed did get attached to them. But now there's a lot of responsible breeders out there trying to bring back the desired and good lines of the Rottweiler. And really, these guys can make an all-around awesome dog. The answer to today's trivia question, what does the word corgi mean in Welsh? The word corgi means dwarf in Welsh. Tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and more. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. On Speak Dogcast, it's harnesses. Why your dog is still pulling you? Now, I get this question. I mean, more often now than I ever have, harnesses seem to be the in thing right now. The in means to walk your dog. And I've seen, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how many kinds of harnesses, guys. I mean, really. And anyone, I mean, all you got to do is go to the pet store, walk down that aisle, and it is very clear that the harness is probably one of the most popular. Uh, items to walk your dog right now. And I'll be honest, I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand. I see what the appeal is. Oh, we don't want to hurt the dog's neck. And um, um, But here's the thing, guys, everything, everything else aside, any details aside, and we're going we're gonna to talk more about this, but it's, it's really this simplistic. A harness was actually designed for one reason. You ready for it? To get a dog to pull. You heard me right. A harness was designed to make a dog pull. Okay. Anytime a predator feels restraint or constraint or, or 
What do, what do you think their natural instinct, instinctual reaction is? Is it to surrender to that constraint? Or is it to fight back against it? You'll notice nylon collars, the regular old snap together, right? They got a snap or a buckle on them, a regular old nylon collar. How many dogs do you see pulling themselves down the sidewalk, choke, quote unquote, choking themselves? Now, side note on this, guys, if a dog was truly choking themselves, do you think they would continue doing it? The rules of psychology tell me no, because if they really were getting harmed to that degree, they would not keep doing it. Because what's the definition of punishment? Anything an animal works to avoid. If the animal is not working to avoid it, then it's not punishment by definition. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts. So when you have a dog pulling themselves down the sidewalk with one of those nylon collars on, then they're actually being reinforced. You know why? Because they're gaining ground and they don't really care about the tension because it's not really choking them. If it was, they wouldn't keep doing it. Okay. So I just, I kind of had to make that side note. It's, it's incredible when you start looking from the perspective of psychology and the terminology, and again, the concepts of reinforcement and punishment, when you start looking at any behavior, something as simple as a dog pulling their owner down the street with a harness or a nylon collar, you can look at that and go, huh, that dog doesn't view that as punishment because he keeps doing it. <laughs> if you start having the correct perspective on what's actually happening there behaviorally, then you can clearly see the dog is not harming themselves. Okay, so throwing that one out there. Uh, but let's go back to the harnesses. So yeah, there's there's like a gajillion different harnesses. And I mean, every second to third harness, what do they always claim? Your dog won't pull while in this harness. This is the no-pull harness. All oh, the pulling nightmares will go away. Your dog will somehow magically and wonderfully walk on the leash just by putting this little harness on. Give me a break. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. Give me a break. And as I've said before, if, if all of these different companies claim that their product is so magical, why are there 20 other different kinds of harnesses going around the chest in a different way or the arms in a different way? Or this one does this. This one constricts a little bit. This one doesn't. We wouldn't need 20 different kinds if one of them happened to be magical. And don't you think, well, I mean, I guess it would put me out of a job, wouldn't it? <laughs> So I guess I have to, we could, we could argue that I'm biased because if that tool truly did work that magically, Hey, I wouldn't get phone calls, but come on. There, there's no such thing as a quick fix with this stuff, guys. Behavior doesn't just quick fix itself. Um, but again, just going back to the basic concept is that a harness was designed to make a dog pull. Okay. So as I've said before, if you're up in Alaska, you're running the Iditarod, or hey, maybe you just need your, your uh, sled dogs to get you around and pull some hot pull things around. Sure. Sure, a harness is your go-to tool. Hey guys, look, if you have a dog that's really powerful, big breed, and they need to get some extra energy out, and you wanna go for a bike ride, you, uh, safely of course, or maybe rollerblades, that's you know that's a popular one with dogs. If you can do it in a safe manner, your dog can pull you a little bit. Now of course, you have to be able to have control on a regular walk first. I don't really recommend slapping on some rollerblades if your dog is not good at walking. All right, let's go. <laughs> You're gonna be in trouble. Um, but again, a harness might be a better tool for that because then the dog can pull a little bit. Now, again, if I don't have any focus, if I don't have any control, then the harness is just gonna be a way for me to be forfeiting that control in those instances. So uh, consider that. But again, a harness does have its use. Do you know what its use is not really, you know, you know what's really not good at being used for? To teach a dog to walk, to create focus. You have to do that first 
then you can teach a dog to pull you if that is what you need for, again, sledding or or riding on rollerblades or something like that. Um, so, you know, it's just, it amazes me how often now that I'm walking into homes and they have a harness. And you know, it's funny. I ask every time I go, well, how's the walk? Uh, he pulls, he's all over the place. And, uh, you know, the harness claimed to be a magical fix, but it, 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 I would say it's almost worse. <laughs> That's the comment I hear. I don't hear, oh, the harness was wonderful. It magically fixed the walk and everything is just better now. And wouldn't you know it? We actually don't need you as a trainer anymore. <laughs> I've never heard that comment, but I hear the other one pretty often. So, you know, it, it kind of blows my mind, this harness phenomenon that's going on. Market, Mar- you, you people out there marketing, man, you're magical. You can get people to think whatever the hell you want them to, can't you? It's just, sorry. Uh, you know, but it's true. It's true. Look at any pets. I mean, hell guys, look at the, look at the rawhides. I mean, I've talked about this and rawhides are not a good treat for your dog. They're pumped full of chemicals. They bleach them. They're a lot of them are still made in China, but guess who's still selling them? All of the pet stores, right? Like, think about that. If they're selling all that kind of crap, then I, I yeah, the puppy pads, the harnesses, the the gentle leader. The, I know there'll be people out there going, David, the gentle leader is great. If you say so, to each his own. I've said my piece on that one. We're not going into that today. We're, we're talking about the harness. Um, but guys, it's just, it's a bad tool. It's a bad tool to train your dog. Is it sometimes a necessary tool though? Unfortunately, yes. Um, I have had a few dogs in the past where either due to the breed size and then the breed itself, or, um, one, one dog got attacked and that was a bad experience for the dog. And again, this is before I worked with them. Um, uh, but the dog got attacked and, and it's trachea collapsed and you can't use collars on it anymore. Right. And other dogs have had similar situations where you just, you can't medically, there is a reason you can't put a collar on the dog. Okay. So if we do have those circumstances, then yeah, a harness is a better tool. And that's, that's, that's kind of my, always been my point. I don't, I, there's very few training tools, very few, there are some, but there are very few training tools that I will look at and go, nope, there's no purpose for this ever. Very few tools. Okay. Every tool has its, even something like a runaway retractable leash. I still think they should be illegal, <clears throat> um, <laughs> but, uh, but every tool has its purpose. Like I said, even a retractable leash has its purpose. If you're doing tracking, if you're doing bomb sniffing with the dog, uh, as I've talked about before, then the tool has a purpose, has a use. But the average owner trying to create focus and a good, healthy walk and being mindful of those around you with dogs, there are tools that are better than others and the harness just isn't one of them. So, you know, it, I'll admit if I have a dog that has one of those medical issues, then yeah, unfortunately I have to put a harness on him. But I'll, again, I'll be honest again, It's awful trying to create focus with those dogs. It can be done sometimes, you know, sometimes the dogs are just more focused than others, but I've had a dog who was just, I mean, ADD, just, just beyond ADD. Part of it was breed. Part of it was the previous lack of training. Uh, and I couldn't use anything but a harness on him and you would get that focus for a split second, be able to reward it. And then boom, he's gone. It's lost. (laughs) He's gone. Uh, and you have no way to manipulate that focus if you don't have a collar in that way, right? In the, in the form of punishment, right? Uh, so it's really hard to redirect a dog who isn't motivated enough by anything else, even the food, even using different treats, even try, unless you have a way sometimes to, to you that you, you don't have another option, but to use the punishment side of it. And that's where a harness just doesn't allow you to create a good, 
um, humane and natural way of punishing a behavior. It just doesn't. So I highly recommend you avoid using harnesses, guys. They're just not a good tool to be able to create focus. They're just not. Okay. Focus is all, where is it? It's up in the head. It's up in the brain. Um, and if you've got that tool wrapped around their chest, then that does nothing for their focus. And then again, just the instinctual side, you put restraint against a predator. What are they going to do? They're just going to fight back. And that's why you'll find more oftentimes than not when I, you know, when you, when you come across a dog in a harness, what are they doing? They're pulling their owners. Okay. Because unfortunately the harness is encouraging it and that's what it was designed to do. So why we're using them to, to walk dogs, to get them to stop pulling. Really, it's kind of beyond my understanding. It, it, it makes no sense. It's like looking at the color yellow and going, wow, that's a beautiful shade of black. Um, <laughs> like why, why, why are we doing that here? Let's put this harness on that's designed to get a dog to pull, to get them to stop pulling. It makes no sense. <laughs> okay. So get rid of the harnesses. They're not the right tool for creating focus on the walk. Are there some circumstances where a harness is necessary? Absolutely. Absolutely. But for the average owner, for the average walk, a harness is not the tool you want. You guys really need to have an understanding of what your tools are, what, what the tool is designed to accomplish, and is it going to benefit you and your dog the most? Okay. With a harness, I can almost promise you the answer is no. <laughs> That's not the tool for you. Okay. Uh, reiterate it again. Once your dog is old enough, not a tiny, tiny puppy, I use those martingale collars, three-fourths nylon, one-fourth chain, martingale collars, and a six-foot nylon leather regular old leash. That's what you want to use, okay? So ditch the harness, ditch the harness, get a nice leash and collar, and I promise you, you will be having a much better and more controlled and focused walk. up on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Janet from Lakeland, Florida. Janet asks, should I be cleaning my dog's teeth? And if so, how often? You know, the answer really is yes, you should be cleaning your dog's teeth. Uh, it's something that's really important that maybe a lot of, owner, a lot of owners kind of put aside. But you know, it, it's like human beings. The, the um, cleanliness of your teeth, the health of your teeth can directly correlate to other health issues, uh, especially, you know, with human beings, we've seen the correlation of heart disease and um, poor health hygiene, or excuse me, poor teeth hygiene. So, you know, it's, it's the same with dogs. They need to have their teeth in good health, and it helps to ensure that you don't run into any other health issues. So how often should you be cleaning your dog's teeth? Really once a week is ideal, you know, uh, going in there with a toothbrush or different uh, tools that we have to be able to clean our dog's teeth. Uh, teeth. But you know, th there's other ways. There are, again, we can use antlers, even chewing on sticks, believe it or not. You know, there's nothing, I don't have a problem with dogs chewing sticks as long as it's not obsessive and they're not overly eating them or anything like that. Uh, you know, a side note on chewing sticks, be cautious of where your dog is getting a stick from. If you just had somebody to spray your yard, for example, for pests, pest control, they could have sprayed that stick with a chemical. Uh, little things like that that maybe you don't think about. Something to consider. If your dog is going to chew on sticks, make sure you know it's, you know, where the stick came from, right? Uh, but yeah, sticks, 
antlers. There are all different kinds of uh, methods. Of course, there, there's dental st dentist sticks, right? Uh, there's a lot of different ways to help the hygiene, help keep your dog's teeth clean. Uh, greenies, another good thing, right? We all know there's all these different things, all these different tools. But yeah, you should be cleaning your dog's teeth. You should try to be doing it once a week. Look, I know that's not always uh, easy. And sometimes your dog may not be wanting to let you clean their teeth. So maybe you could even start slowly just by touching their gums and giving them a treat. Start there, right? Every couple of days, just touching their teeth, touching their gums, touching their mouth, only for a couple seconds at a time to get them used to it. Then you can slowly work up to, you know, cleaning one tooth with the brush, giving them some treats. Um, so you're starting to associate something happier with it, right? And that might make it easier to clean your dog's teeth. Now, dentals, right? Dentals are another way to go to your vet and actually get a dental procedure done on your dogs. There's all different kinds of dentals that can be done. There's, you know, some vets who can do it without anesthesia or minimal anesthesia. Um, but dentals are very important, guys. Very, very important. You also need to get your dog's teeth checked out by a professional to make sure they're in good health to make sure we don't need any extractions. That could be causing your dog some pain. Your dog might have a rotting tooth. You know something? If your dog's breath is really stinky, I'll say this. If you <laughs> you got a dog with some stinky breath, take a look at their teeth, guys. A lot of times, really bad breath can be an indication of some issues going on in the mouth. So take a look at your dog's teeth. Of course, you're going to want to get them regu regularly evaluated by your veterinarian, but I highly recommend you get a dental yearly. I do. I really do. Dentals should be happening yearly to keep your dogs in tip-top shape. Now, my vet has a wonderful package that he puts together um, where you actually, you know, you, you pay for a package and you get the vaccinations, you get normal checkups, and even the dental is included in it. So that's a wonderful thing. Check with your vet office. They may offer something like that, and it can really help uh, offset some of that cost to the dental cleanings as well. But yeah, you should be cleaning your dogs ideally once a week on your own with a toothbrush and, and those kind of things. And again, you can work your dog up to and get them used to it, but regular vet evaluations, regular dental cleanings at the vet, that should also be done. Uh, you should take that into consideration as well. Next question. This comes from Carol in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Carol asks, is it okay to let my dogs outside without supervision? You know, it's it's a yes and no. It sort of really is dependent upon your situation and your setup. Uh, Carol, you're in Port St. Lucie. You're nearby. You know, bufo toads, the cane toads, the invasive species that we have here. Now, bufo toad, bufo is the scientific name and it actually covers a different variety of toads. So it's specifically these cane toads that are an invasive species from Australia. And those of you not in South Florida, and I got news for you, anybody listening in Central Florida, unfortunately, it's only going to be a matter of time before you guys are going to have to deal with this as well. It stinks. It's no fun. There have been isolated incidents, I believe, in Orange and Seminole County up there, Central Floridians, uh, where they have found, I think, one, maybe two toads. Not a good sign. Not a good sign. It's, it's coming at you. And look, these cane toads are poisonous. They're very highly poisonous to dogs. They can actually kill a dog with just a lick. Yeah, Northerners, I know you guys are not familiar with this, um, but it's a big issue we have in South Florida. It's a big problem. And to be honest, I, especially come summertime when the toads are really active and there's a lot of rain and they're really out, I do not feel safe letting my dogs outside, especially at night. Oh my gosh, at night for sure, 100%. My dogs are not allowed to be outside unsupervised. None of my client dogs are allowed to be outside unsupervised. Bufo, uh, those cane totes can be dangerous. So I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent on this, but it's just an example 
of knowing your environment and knowing where you live. If you live in an area where it's very woodsy up north and you maybe have the potential for a lot of venomous snakes around, yeah, maybe it's not a good idea to leave your dog unattended outside. Um, look, even even in the uh, some of the suburban areas around here, uh, we've been hearing a lot of reports of bobcats in the area. Middle of the day, guys, bobcats, if they're hungry enough, they'll come after a little dog, even on leash. I've heard instances of it. So, you know, I'm not trying to scare anybody out there, but should you leave your dog outside with, uh, without, you know, leave them outside without supervision? I mean, I, I personally think there are certain circumstances and instances where it's okay, it's safe. You, you know your environment, you know your yard, you know it's safe to, but be aware of those things. So again, if you're in South Florida, I really don't recommend leaving dogs outside unattended. Uh, guys, Florida is a wild place. <laughs> Even in suburbia, it can be a little bit of a wild place. If you have a small dog, there's a lot of birds of prey, hawks that will swoop down potentially and grab your dog. Um, you know, things like this that you just don't consider. I know we want to let our dogs be dogs, uh, but you just being outside, being near your dog can decrease those kind of chances of, of interactions with predators. Um, but then there's the, the not predator and licking a toad, right? That can unfortunately really be severe and, and cause some issues with the dog. So, uh, not to kind of go off around too much here, but is it okay to let my dog outside without supervision? In certain instances and circumstances, yes. In others, not so much. So be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of local wildlife. Be aware and considerate of your neighbors too. Okay, if your dog doesn't know how to stay in your yard, maybe letting them outside unsupervised is not very neighborly and not very kind of you. So uh, all those different things to consider. But yes, in some circumstances, it is okay to leave your dog outside without supervision. In other circumstances, not so much. That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked subscribe or follow, go ahead and do so right now. You can also find me on social media, Speak a Dogcast on Instagram, Speak a Dogcast on Facebook as well. If you have any questions for the listener Q&A, email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog.